0: doctor RJ Rushduni rr one thirty AZ ninety three Theft and Law eighth Commandment Exodus X twentieth verses one fifteen. Our scripture is Exodus
1: twenty one through fifteen. Exodus twenty one through fifteen. This morning we conclude our study of the eighth commandment thou shalt not steal. Next week we begin the ninth commandment, and our text is Exodus twenty sixteen for next week tempting God. For the following week, continuing our studies of the ninth commandment, Leviticus nineteen one and two, sanctification and law. And then, on the following week, Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 22, the false prophet. The ninth commandment is an exceedingly important one and very much neglected in our time. Thest and law, Exodus 20, 1 through 15. Unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, when six days the Lord made heaven and earth with sea, and all that is in them is, and rest of the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Very clearly, this commandment, the eighth, forbids theft. Of this there is no question. But to whom does this commandment apply? The usual answer of churchmen is, why, to all men, of course. But this answer is faulty. It is true as far as it goes. This commandment applies not only to all men, but to their institutions, their corporations, and their forms of government. Failure to extend the scope of this law to its full jurisdiction, has been productive of more than a little evil what is the root of this error why has it been restricted to men only the error is that by and large the church has held that the ten commandments gives us a moral code a system of morality This is a half-truth. And half-truths are dangerous because an outright lie is usually an obvious thing, but a half-truth passes. It is true the Ten Commandments do give us a moral code. But, if we restrict the scope of the Ten Commandments to a moral code, then we have misunderstood them. They are not only morality, but they are inescapably law as well. If we deny to the Ten Commandments the status of law, we are surrendering the world to the devil. We are saying men and their personal relationships are under God, but the world is under the devil. Therefore, what happens in this in the way of violations of this commandment in church, state, school, institutional, and corporate life is not under God. It is not under this commandment. And this is a fearful offense. One of the most incisive studies of the law in our day and of course there have been almost no studies of the law apart from that by C. Robert Ingram and Frederick Niemeyer. One of the most incisive studies is Frederick Niemeyer's study of about 15 years ago entitled Essays Against Organized Sanctimony and Legalized Coercion. In the course of dealing with the law, Niemeyer wrote in criticism of the ideas of Dr. Bruin flock who poses as a Christian teacher, and he said as follows, and I quote, everything stands or falls on this simple question. Does a government have more authority than its citizens? If so, it must have got that greater authority from some greater source than the citizens. The only greater sources are God or Satan. Satan is never considered by Calvinists to be the source of government. Governments are manifestations of the common grace of God, we are told. Therefore, Hitler had a peculiar inherent authority directly from God. Now we realize how the standard came to follow its course during World War II. Grant the foregoing, to Abraham Kuyper, to standard, to the anti-revolutionary party, and to Bruin Sloth, and where do you end up? Here are four propositions that follow naturally from Bruin Sloth's major items. One, God has restricted individual men by and to the Ten Commandments. Two, but God has given the government more authority or rights than individual men have. Three, Therefore, governments have direct authority to go beyond the Ten Commandments, that is, they may violate the Ten Commandments. For it is exactly that right to violate the Ten Commandments which constitutes the purpose for claiming a peculiar, inherent authority for governments. Hitler, you see, was operating quite within his rights, derived directly from God. Concentration camps, firing squads, rise, violence, wars, oppression, all these are the product of this so-called peculiar, inherent authority of government. Men are bound by the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Governments are not, unquote. Now, Neumeyer is right. If you restrict the Ten Commandments to the status of morality binding on individuals, then you have to either say governments and corporations and institutions have a peculiar right from God to violate the law, or they have it from Satan. And of course, no one will say they have it from Satan, at least not churchmen. So what they do end up saying is precisely what Dr. Berlin Platt has said and Steinmeier has criticized him for by speaking of this peculiar inherent authority, which is apart from and beyond the Ten Commandments then the government has the right to steal from you, which of course it is doing. And corporations have the right to do things which as individuals they would not do. This is what happens when we speak of the Ten Commandments, simply as a moral code. It is law, God's law. It is God's moral code for us also. It has a total jurisdiction. If authority is from God, then all authority is under God's law. All authority is an agency of God's law, or else it has some special pipeline to God which enables it to sidestep God's law. And there is no evidence for this in Scripture. Now, in a very delightful footnote, Frederick Neumeyer added the following, and I quote, A person reading this manuscript with some amusement worked out the obvious syllogism. One, the powers that be are ordained of God. Two, Satan is one of the powers that be. Three, therefore Satan is ordained of God. Then he outlined the succeeding syllogism. One, all the powers ordained of God must be obeyed. Two, Satan is a power ordained of God. Three, therefore, Satan must be obeyed. Now, the tragic fact is that this, which is an obvious bit of spoof, uh, has since it was written in the early fifties, become progressively a reality. After all, if men are going to exempt institutions and governments from the Ten Commandments, if they say it's only a moral code, not law, and this is what I'm told by clergymen all the time, they're going to end up by exempting the government not only from law but saying that we have to obey all authorities including the government unconditionally and Satan unconditionally. A few years ago in 1967 I wrote the text for a film strip on the moral foundations of money. And in the course of that film strip I stated that Fiat money, an unbacked paper currency, is a form of counterfeiting, and inflation is a form of larceny. Well, it was amazing the reaction I got from the clergy. They were horrified. In fact, one minister, the Reverend Albert G. Edwards of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Seattle, felt that charges should be preferred against me for heretical opinions. And he wrote as follows, and I quote, This is accusing the state of robbery, which seems to go quite contrary to what Paul says in the 13th chapter of Romans, where we are told to give what is asked of us in regard to taxation and to recognize the right of the state in this. Uh... I might add that Mr. Edwards spoke of paper money inflation as a hidden tax rather than larceny. To call taxation larceny seems to be an act of open rebellion against the state and contrary to Scripture, which admonishes us to to be subject to the ordinances of man for God's sake. Now my answer, and I quote, you speak of paper money as a form of hidden tax, which is true. But your point with regard to Romans 13 I do not regard as valid. You're, you yourself, I have heard, criticize certain actions of civil government as morally wrong, or in various ways wrong. Do you impugn thereby scripture? Elijah called the seizure of Naboth's vineyard, theft and murder was the impugning God law? The state has a legitimate authority, but not everything it does is thereby legitimate. As Hodge, in another context than Romans 13, says, of all authority, quote, it extends over all departments of its domain, but is limited in all, first by the nature of the relation, and secondly by the higher authority of God, unquote. The work of the ministry must be prophetic. It must speak for God, and it must therefore deny to the state what belongs to God. The state thus has no right, for example, to usurp the education of children. This is a responsibility of the covenant of parents, not of the state. The state has no right to violate God's law, thou shalt not steal, and paper money is theft. And what you call a hidden fact is actually hidden theft. I cannot hold to the immunity of the state from moral judgment, unquote. And yet this is precisely what is the most prevalent opinion in evangelical and orthodox circles today. You mustn't criticize the state isn't under the law. And some go a step further and say we are not under the law, which probably accounts for their lack of morality. Do you see what happens if you deny that the Ten Commandments are not only a moral code, but they are law, universal law, binding on all, without exception? The state, unfortunately, has been made exempt from law and from judgment in terms of the law. This goes back to the pagan divinization of the state. Where men exempt the state from the law of God, they in effect make it an instrument of safety. The law is the law for everyone. If the citizen has no right to steal, then neither does the state. Thou shalt not steal is a universal command if a citizen cannot appropriate his neighbor's property and neither can the state thou shalt not steal applies to corporations to institutions to governments and to men equally it therefore forbids socialism and communism it forbids inflation it forbids writing bad checks. It forbids picking up what belongs to our neighbor. It forbids theft in every form and for everyone. It forbids false advertising, dishonest processing and adulteration of food. It forbids feather betting. It forbids cheating workers all, in other words, are equally under God's law, thou shalt not steal. Wherever the Ten Commandments are reduced to the status of morality only, the law is destroyed and society is destroyed. It begins to disintegrate. If all authority is not under God's law, that instead of a universe, we have a multiverse. Now what's a multiverse? It means that instead of having one world, one universe, you have many universes, each with their own law sphere. so that you have one world under one god, as it were, and another world under another god. This is polytheism. Many gods. So you're under one god, He's your Lord, you follow his law, but somebody else is not, and they can have their own law system. Then instead of a creator and a lawgiver for the entire universe, we have many gods who act as creators and lawgivers in their realm. But if all authority comes from God. Then all authority is plainly under God's law and entirely subject to it. Because the ancient world believed in evolution, they believed that some people evolved from one set of facts in the universe, and therefore that was their God, the powers that were therein represented. Whereas another people might have evolved from another strand, another set of facts. And of course you have polytheism rising again today because of evolutionary thinking. There are many anthropologists today who hold that different races had a different evolution and the Negroes therefore evolved separately and therefore Represent an entirely separate variety, a separate law order, and therefore they can't be brought under our law. Let the Africans have their own kind of law system, their own moral standards, because they're not under our particular inheritance. Tolerate every kind of law structure. Cannibalism is all right for them, perhaps, or for the the Islanders. After all, they belong to a different world. We live in a multiverse. This is why Clark Kerr, when he was president of the University of California at Berkeley, sometimes spoke, not of a university, but a multiversity as the desirable goal. And, of course, you are beginning to get a multiversity, are you not? Witchcraft is being taught very close to us here at UCLA. After all, if you have a multiverse, why not teach the facts of a multiverse? And, after all, witchcraft has its validity just as well as astronomy. And astrology, therefore, is becoming more and more respectable. In a multiverse, there's a place for it. And I'm told that in the high schools, of one of the major cities in the East, Washington, D.C., palmistry and yoga are now being taught. The multiversity is going down to the high school level. Polytheism, many dollars. Which means, of course, they are opposed all of them to one god they will tolerate anything except the one true god therefore they will not tolerate the ten commandments as law because to accept it as law to say thou shalt not steal must be applied to every area of life is to say that we have a universe, one God, one law, one order. Thou shalt not feel for us has a universal application. This means that it applies not only to the state and to corporations and to individuals but to the church as well. Where the church does not faithfully teach the whole counsel of God, the whole law of God, it is plainly guilty of theft. Where the church does not teach that thou shalt not steal is not only morality, but law, universally binding on all men and institutions. It is robbing the people and the social order of its vital nerve. It is undercutting all authority when it limits the law on which all authority rests. Earlier I quoted Frederick Neumeyer. Let me quote him once again on the law. What gold is to money, the law of God is to liberty what gold is to money the law of God is to liberty when this is set aside then every man every institution every government is a law unto itself playing God the failure to teach the ten commandments as law has paved the way for tyranny, for totalitarianism. By way of conclusion, I'd like to quote a very significant statement from one of our founding fathers, the man who had more influence than any other single man in the Constitutional Convention and in the writing of the Constitution. James Madison, a very zealous Christian. This is a quotation you will not find in any textbook in our school. But this is what James Madison had to say about what they did at the Constitutional Convention, what they did when they established this country. I quote, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves. To sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Unquote. For Madison, that was law. Where the Ten Commandments ceased to be law, you have polytheism, a multiverse, and tyranny. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto thee for those who have old established this country upon thy law. We thank thee, our Father, for the foundations we have. We call soul Lord, to the foundation of thy law's work. Teach us to walk day by day mindful that thy word is law unto us and all institutions and governments. And make us instrumental in the renewing of this generation, of this world, in terms of thy law work. We appeal to thee, O Lord, against the faults of men, against the legislators and senators congressmen who have subverted thy law and who have ushered in tyranny and theft O Lord our God we thank thee that thy vengeance is sure thou wilt repay and we look unto thee our Father to sow on us that we may rebuild May reestablish all things in terms of Jesus Christ, the only foundation, and thy law work, the only law for men and nations. Bless us to this calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now with respect to. Yes. Right, in uh, this independent public,
0: of Exactly. A very good
1: question. To repeat uh, the point that I made in this independent republic and elsewhere as well the God idea is inescapable man cannot escape the concept of a God therefore he must inevitably replace the true God when he denies him with a false God and the new God he creates is humanity mankind he therefore must bring all mankind into unity. He cannot tolerate a division between men. He must have a one world order. Because to have mankind disunited is to deny a new God, man. To create a division in the Godhead which is a logical impossibility. But at the same time, I've also pointed out in Intellectual Schizophrenia and elsewhere in the Biblical Philosophy of History and in a forthcoming book, uh, The Politics of Guilt and Pity, when man separates himself from God, he is in contradiction to himself. Everything points to the one true God. He must therefore at one and the same time try to deny that which he is seeking to affirm, therefore, in order to escape the universe of God's law, that there is a law inherent in the universe, you see, he has to deny that law. Otherwise, he has to say there is a power greater than man governing man. So all law, universal law, has to be denied. He has to affirm a multiverse of laws, each in terms of his own culture, his own background, or his own inclinations. So man creates the very counter-movements in his apostasy that destroy his rebellion. He's trying to create a unity, but he's also compelled at the same time to create that diversity which destroys him. So fragmentation is built into all apostasy precisely as it tries to unify itself in terms of a new order it creates fragmentation of the base now in economics you see the same thing to try to create a new monetary standard in terms of money but it creates fragmentation in the base in that there is a flight away from it so economic nationalism is the consequence of every attempt to create a one world fiat currency So, because God's law order is the only law order, every attempt at rebellion, even as it tries to create a one order under man, creates a radical fragmentation. The schizophrenia that comes into man as he rebels against God creates two counter purposes which ultimately shatter him and destroy him. Does this help explain it? Uh, man is to, uh, call of the call yes, man himself is created in the image of god inescapably he's going to try to duplicate everything in god's order but at the same time he's in rebellion against that so there are two counter movements and as a result he's at war with himself even in his own philosophy of thinking now,
0: no. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh,
1: the idea is not basically do you, It goes back to Scripture, uh, and there are many other expounders of it, Kiefer and others. The idea of spirit law is basically this that God has created. A world of law and there are many areas of law all under God thus mathematics represents a law sphere physics represents a law sphere economics another and so on the state is a law sphere the family is a law sphere all are under the absolute law of God and of course the point here is that none of these law spheres can claim priority over the others. They are coordinate and interdependent, so that the mathematician cannot say mathematics is the number one sphere and therefore the mathematician should govern the world. The physicist cannot say this. Neither can the state say that we have jurisdiction over every other law sphere. Its law sphere is justice and nothing more. The church cannot say we must rule every law sphere as the church did for a time under Innocence III and others. It again has its law sphere. All of these law spheres, these uh, disciplines, are interdependent and coordinate. But God is overall. Yes. Yes, this gets into some of the ideas that are peculiar to uh, Duyavir and not necessarily uh, my thinking. Well, uh, I wouldn't uh, give anyone any priority over any other. Yes. Any other questions? Yes. Yes, the isolationism advocated by Washington in his farewell address rested precisely on this kind of thinking, biblical thinking, non interventionist thinking, that in terms of God's law each of us has our responsibility in our own area we don't have a universal responsibility in other words we can't play God and Savior to the whole world and this was basic to Washington's thinking he opposed this kind of thinking to the revolutionary kind of thinking coming out of France which said we're going to save the world we're going to export the revolution into every country and save every country Washington was very, very strongly opposed to that. So non interventionism or isolationism is premised on the fact that you stay within the domain of your responsibility. You don't play universal Lord and Savior. That's God's business. Yes. In the first place today, no salvation is ever possible without justice the cross of christ supremely represents both the justice of god and the grace of god it represents the justice of god because it witnesses that god's law must be fulfilled. The death penalty must prevail against sin. So Jesus Christ, as our representative, suffered the death penalty for our sakes to indicate that God's justice is inflexible. But at the same time, he rose again from the dead to indicate that as our representative, our Lord, He resurrects us from the death of sin into the life of righteousness in him so that there is no salvation possible without justice. This is why wherever antinomianism sets in and we are told that we're dead to the law and so on, we are also ultimately dead to God, dead to justice, dead to salvation. And you have love replacing it and love becomes the savior this is why once the doctrine of the atonement is weakened and the concept of the law is weakened love theology rapidly comes in and in reformed circles where they've been so strict about the doctrines of salvation you find now love theology is rapidly taking over precisely because they become antinomian And you cannot maintain a doctrine of the atonement in isolation from the rest of your theology. So if you become antinomian at any point, ultimately you'll overturn the doctrine of the atonement. Yes? Is what? Oh, yes, a bribe. Yes. Yes. Right. What I said was that the word translated bribe is the same word that we have in Hebrew for redemption, for atonement. What the bribe represents is a false atonement, a false redemption, whereas Christ's work on the cross was true redemption, true atonement, you see. So when someone accepts a bribe, they do it thereby to give a false salvation to someone, to save someone who should not be saved. There is, yes, then there is no punishment. They are saved, say, if a bribe is given to a judge to acquit someone Who is guilty of murder? He is saved from death, but it's a false salvation. It's a false price. It's a totally counterfeit price. You see. So the word there is the same as the word for atonement, but it's a false atonement. Exactly. Yes. I can't quite hear you yeah uh, the matter of doing away with money entirely and so on you know, Over the years, I've heard people who were deeply in debt and short of money talking very enthusiastically about plans to do away with money. Nobody who has a lot of cash is ever in favor of doing away with money. Well, today, when you have governments that are head over heels in debt and short of cash, they also are indulging in that kind of talk. And, of course, it is nonsense. I think it goes back to the, what has been called the first law of economics, namely, that there is no such thing as a free lunch. And all these attempts to do away with money are attempts to bring about a free lunch. And it won't work. Because if you rule by introducing some kind of currency, and this has been the point of every step towards fiat money which we've taken. If you rule that there will be a free lunch, then everybody's going to line up, ultimately, for a free lunch, and nobody's going to work, and everybody's going to starve. And of course, this is ultimately what happens with runaway inflation. It ends up with no one working because it is going to be a free lunch. It's going to be a free job for someone. And then the money collapses utterly. Along those lines, a week ago, uh, Friday, I received four paper bills in the mail from someone up north who had heard me speak and thought that I should have these. He works in the foreign exchange division of one of the major banks in the country. And he paid just a very small amount to pick up these bills that businessmen were exchanging at the bank. Incidentally, he says it's impossible to discuss the subject with the liberals who work with him because. They're too ready to get emotionally upset. They can see what's happening, but they don't want to talk about it. Now, these are Brazilian bills. Brazilian paper money. Brazil has been in process of radical inflation in recent years. The result of this inflation has been that money has progressively grown cheaper. So, not too long ago, what they had to do, because they were printing more and more paper of bigger and bigger denominations was simply to decree that the last three zeros off of every bill were to be dropped. And here's the ten thousand cruzel bill and it's restamped ten. Even if it weren't restamped, that's all you could get for it, ten cruzeros. A 5,000 cruzero bill is re-stamped 5. A 1,000 cruzero bill is re-stamped 1 cruzero, and the smallest legal bill now is the former 500 cruzero uh, bill, which is 50 centavos. Now, this wipes people out, of course. Didn't have businessmen from America who were doing business there and weren't in about inflation but of course this is what happens when they try to get towards precisely what you are speaking about it's the progressive destruction of whatever currency they have and when they work towards the abolition of money what they are doing is working towards the abolition of all trade all business it results ultimately in everything grinding to a halt because inflation an unbacked paper currency is a form of theft and finally people realize it's total theft and they stop selling they stop coming through with the free lunches and then you have chaos mentioned this before but I think it's worth mentioning. I recall in the twenties when I was a boy my father getting from this one company these advertisements and they were often on the back of uh, some of the prominent magazines of the day which showed an elderly couple looking over the rail of a ship on a balmy summer night enjoying themselves and underneath the words Uh, take out this retirement plan and retire and see the world on $100 a month. Now, in those days, to have $100 a month to retire on would make you very, very well-to-do. You could travel around the world. You could live the life of a gentleman of leisure. Of course, we know what inflation has done to those who took out plans like that. It destroys them, and of course we haven't seen anything in the way of real inflation yet. Just think what would happen to hundred dollar bills if, in a few years, we went through what the Brazilians have just gone through. They'd be worth ten cents. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He can command any kind of good, and this is exactly what has happened in every such situation. It, when everything breaks down, when the paper money breaks down, the hard money is the only thing that will bring goods out of hiding. Every other kind of money is worthless. A man who comes to some of our meetings occasionally, recently, gave me a sheet of uh, bonds from Germany in the early 20s. They'd never even bothered to cut them. They were worthless. At the time, they were paid off. The entire national debt of Germany was paid off, I think, with uh, what was equivalent to 13 American cents the entire public and private indebtedness the debts of World War One, everything the equivalent of 13 cents now was it any use lining up with say a hundred thousand in bonds or paper money to collect uh, a millionth of a penny or something like that you couldn't collect it well that's what happened yes what happened to what law disintegrated there was no law I talked to people who went through it law and order collapsed precisely because there was no money to keep society going no one worked for nothing and anarchy took over in the city They were paying the price of their paper money. And of course, Brazil today, the only kind of work you can get done is on a cost-plus-10% basis. Because the inflation is so bad, there is no one who will contract to do anything when the contract, by the time uh, the terms are over or you put up the house... Materials have gone up so radically. Our time is really up, it will take one or two. Yes? It doesn't come from nowhere the new money either has to come from reestablishing on a hard money basis gold and silver or some artificial basis which holds for a little while until you have collapse again and of course it was the aftermath of the inflation of the early 20s that led to Hitler one followed the other yes Oh yes, the same thing happened to the bank account. Of course. Yes.
0: To the of the
1: what was it? I can
0: Well, the well those
1: Individuals who had gold and silver, of course, were the ones who could command anything during the inflation. And I have mentioned in uh, one of my publications and uh, told a number of you on a number of occasions of the famous story of the hotel, the best hotel in Berlin that was bought with a $10 gold piece, American. Uh, Now, yes. nationally gold was loaned to them afterwards what happened then in a sense was not entirely Germany's fault in that reparations were required of Germany after World War one and instead of waiting for a reasonable period they forced payment almost overnight and drained the government of gold and then of course the government collapsed radically so uh, in that case it was not entirely of their doing after it was over they loaned them back some of their own gold to re-establish a a sound currency but the damage had been done the middle class was wiped out and uh, nazism became almost inevitable well our time is up but i'd like to remind you that this Saturday, March the 7th, we're having our potluck dinner at the Encino Women's Club. I believe the notices are on the back on a chair. So if you have not yet notified Edith Stafford or Peggy North, please do so. Edith is here so you can speak to her now. We hope to see you all there. We want to have uh, a very congenial evening, getting better acquainted. Uh, We are
0: adjourned now. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.